I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Spandrew Spice. Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick a topic and walk you through the ins, the outs, and the nitty-gritty, so you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is... Bob's Game. What was Bob's Game? Well, Bob's Game was a video game and internet phenomenon that took center stage for a brief moment in the early days of internet culture. To put it simply, a dude named Bob made a video game and then trolled Nintendo for years and ended up having some sort of mental breakdown. And like so many impresarios of the early internet, he ended up launching a Kickstarter and ended up ripping off all of his backers, twice. Act 1. How to make friends and win in business, the Bob way. In some ways, every artist views themselves as a renegade prophet, someone who has a vision of the future that could be, and works tirelessly for years to bring it into fruition. Every artist has grand ideas of what they'll do in their professional life, what mountains they'll climb, and most don't succeed. But those who do, they have a specific dedication to their chosen craft, a willingness to forego pleasure now for the existential reward of seeing their work out in the world, undiluted. Sometimes the vision of one's work is so clear that it can drive you insane when the real world doesn't match up with the future that you can see so clearly. And that's the story that we're going to be diving into today, Bob's Game. The story of an artist who had a pristine idea untarnished by the reality of any industry, individual, or message board. Bob's Game, the greatest video game ever made, created by one person that literally no one else had ever played. Robert Bob Poloni is the character at the center of this story. A diehard video game fan, he had an idea. To create a video game so good that he would get it published by Nintendo. This game had multiple names over the course of its creation. Zeldrug, Button Mash, and eventually, simply, Bob's Game. The game, a 2D role-playing game, was developed by Poloni and Poloni alone since 2004. According to an interview he gave with the Orlando Sentinel, Poloni spent five years and over 15,000 hours working on the game. He wanted to build something unlike any other game that had ever been created, a single definitive statement, something that would serve as both an apotheosis and possibly an epitaph. His ambition was so unbridled that when he started the game, he literally had no pixel art or game coding experience. He taught himself everything as he went. The game was intended to feature over 200 characters. And again, according to the same Orlando Sentinel interview, the game would feature more gameplay than just about anything else out there on a portable system. So Spandrew, when someone says the game is gonna feature more gameplay than just about any other portable system, what does that what does that mean to you? That's uh so there there used to there was this there was this show, this reality show that used to come on uh sci-fi. And this was back in like the the early 2010s or the late 2000s. I don't remember exactly what. And I don't remember the name of it, but it was a reality show about special effects. And it was essentially like every episode, a different special effects house was like it was like it was documenting them building something for a movie. And it was always like <clears throat> it was like little independent ones. It wasn't like some big like studio bullshit. It was like. One of the episodes was literally like some little special effects house and then like the asylum came to them and asked them to make this giant squid monster or whatever. 
And it was like literally the first time I had ever been interested in watching a reality TV show. It was called it was called Face Off. Yes. Yes. No, no, no. That's a different one. That's a different one. That's it. That's the one. That's the one that came out later. And it actually I think that one might have been a lot better. I don't I never watched that one. I was burned. I was burned too much by this original one. But I uh, I watched it. I think it's it's called like Monster or something. It's got the word monster in it. Um, uh, that's that that show is actually where I learned that uh, that Jenna Elfman is married to Richard Elfman's son. That was on. It was on an ep- It was on an episode, which is actually it's funny that that story came up last episode, and now I'm gonna kind of like pay it off. But that that show, I started watching it, and I was excited about it or whatever because it's literally just like showing like little independent. Uh, uh, special effects houses like making like animatronic monsters and like rubber costumes and stuff like that. However, after watching a couple episodes, I started to quickly realize that much like all other reality TV shows, it was all completely staged. Like they weren't real scenarios. They weren't actual things of people making real movies and then they came to them. It was all just staged. Um, and the reason why I picked up on that very quickly is because Nobody was using actual terminology that was real, that like actually made sense. Like to a regular person, they might have like not noticed. But to me, I'm just like, these people are like, this is clearly not actually happening. Like they're just saying gibberish. They're not really doing real things. They're just the, the terms that they're using are not correct and all these things. But there was an episode that was about how Richard Elfman was making Forbidden Zone 2. And it was like... Oh, that movie came out, bro. We got asked to We got asked to be in that movie. Yeah, but this was back in like 2008. Yeah, that was... Yeah, I don't know when we got asked to be in it. But we it wasn't 2008. That's true. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely wasn't 2008. You weren't even born. I wasn't. The whole thing was clearly not real. And that was, that was a tangent. But the original thing I was going to say was... Which now seems... Very much like a long walk is that hours, uh, much more gameplay than anybody, any other game is an immediate tell that this person does not know how to make video games and doesn't really fully understand what video games are outside of like the experience of playing them and like is just talking out of his ass. Right. Sure. But what is he even trying to say there? Is he trying to say like. There's not going to be any of those fucking stupid cutscenes. Like what? I don't even. I literally don't even understand. Or is he just saying the game is going to be longer? Like I don't understand what. It's a game. It's going to feature more gameplay. Like all games feature gameplay. I don't understand what he's trying to say. I think. I mean. I think he's trying to say like. I don't even know if longer is what he's trying to say exactly. But like in video games, a big thing that people really like want, and that a lot of companies like boast with with games especially now is like a lot of content because like games cost $60 and so a big selling point is like this is going to be worth $60 for you so it's less that it's long and it's more that like there's going to be a lot of content for you to enjoy that's going to justify $60 so it's like gameplay modes there's a multiplayer there's a new game plus there's a co-op mode it's like it's like features and additional content that and like you know, 50 different endings and uh, a morality system that makes it where you can play the game twice and each time it's a different experience, that kind of stuff. Was that a trope in 2008, though? Not real. No, not really. Not I don't not really. It's 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 more now where like we've kind of reached the zenith of like technical capabilities for video games 
like you kind of don't want video games to look better than they do now like why like at that point you're just it's just a movie uh so now they have to like find other things to like brag about other than like graphics because you know more moore's law has slowed down exponentially in the last five years poloni uploaded a trailer for the game onto youtube in august of 2008 it received over a hundred thousand views in just under a month. Reaction was instant and far-reaching in the gaming ecosystem. Everyone wanted to play Bob's game. It looked fantastic. Poloni was attempting to do something that no one else had done before. Create an expansive world that was equal parts Dungeons and Dragons, Earthbound, Mario, and Dance Dance Revolution. And then he set it in the suburbs, because, you know, write what you know. And also another uh, sort of, there's a specific trope in indie gaming, and it's called an Earthbound-like. And a lot of small indie games, like make like they're 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 like paying homage to earthbound which is if you don't know is a is a jrpg from the early 90s uh that it's actually part of a, a japanese series of games there was the uh, there was one that came out for the nintendo called mother and then mother 2 came out for the super nintendo but we never got mother so uh mother 2 came out in the united states as earthbound um, and it's it's a it's a it's a JRPG, but the gimmick of it is that it's not about like a fantastical adventure in some like fantasy realm with like monsters, like dragons and like knights and stuff like that, which a lot of like JRPGs were at the time. Um, it's about like kids in suburban America, um, and they go they they travel around fighting like bats and weird little like woodland creatures. And they use like baseball bats and like other like, like you know, childlike implements to fight. Um, and it was like a game that like absolutely tanked when it came out. It did not do well. They did this whole marketing campaign where they put these ads in all the video game magazines that were like Earthbound stinks. And then it was like a scratch and sniff thing. When you scratched it, it smelled like farts or something. Um, and it just did not do well. It just the, the game didn't sell. Uh, but it became a huge cult classic. Um, it's one of my favorite games. Uh, I've, I've played through it like four times. I used to have the cart of it. I don't know what happened to that. And now you can get the cart on eBay for like $400. Um, Ness from Super Mario Brothers is... Su Super Smash Brothers, yeah. yeah. Net Super, Ness. Smart, Super Smash Brothers, sorry. I misspoke, yeah. Yeah, Net Net Ness and Lucas from the Super Smash Brothers games. They're, that's where they're from. Um uh, and the game became such a cult classic that a lot of indie games like pay homage to it. So this is another one where he was clearly his intention was to make an earthbound like um, and we and what's interesting is which I kind of wanted to talk about real quick is uh, as we get into Bob's game, you can see that like aside from all the other stuff we're going to talk about with the weird shit that goes on with this whole story is like he almost serves as a template for what ends up becoming this kind of this kind of legitimate path in game development, because, um, you know, a handful of years later, I, th I think in 2014 or 15, I forget exactly when it came out, but you have games like um, uh, Undertale and Undertale is a game that's has the exact same sort of trajectory. It's it's a it's an earthbound like um, and it's solo developed by one guy named toby fox he makes the whole game he does all the music he gets some help with like sprite animation and stuff like that but ultimately he made the game by himself took him a long time to make and now it's this huge thing that is like weirdly has dominated pop culture where 
you have people, you know, cosplaying as Undertale characters at conventions and shit. Um, and there's like there's like three trillion terabytes of Undertale porn fan art on the internet. It's interesting how this sort of serves as a template for that because this ends up becoming like a thing that a lot of people do. There's a lot of solo developed games um, that have been made where it's like it's 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 almost like a selling point now. It's become it's become a PR stunt in a way. And you have a lot of games like Katana Zero and Cave Story, which is mentioned in this. Um, and uh, there's a new game that's in development that's on its way to be coming out called the Athenian Rhapsody, which is another solo devved Earthbound like. And it's almost it's a selling point. It's like this guy spent seven years making this game by himself. And there's like there's like literally like dozens of games that have done this that are very successful. And he was kind of, I think, the first guy to publicly try to do this. And it, it also, like, saying that a video on YouTube got 100,000 views is, like, nothing in 2022 views. But in 2008, a video game thing? Like, it's not a cat video? It got 100,000 views? Damn. That's, like, you know, something to pay attention to. Yeah, yeah. We, 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 live, in a, we live in a whole new world, which we're, obviously, the two of us are very familiar with, of, like, the types of shit you have to make to go viral on YouTube or any kind of social media. But, you know, back then, back in 2008, that was a, that was a, the Wild West of YouTube where like it was back whenever you could like get big on the inner on YouTube for like making some weird sketch comedy group. And it wasn't like every episode didn't have to have some crazy thumbnail of like Mr. Beast gives three children a million dollars if they fight to the death. It was just like if you if your videos were funny or good, you could like grow an audience. You had like this direct connection to the audience based on like the quality of your content. So like it wasn't about thumbnails or or like algorithm algorithmic optimization. It was just like if your thing was really cool, you could go viral. It didn't even have to be really cool. I feel like you're overselling it. It could just be like moderately interesting and it would do well because the pool of people that were making stuff online were just you know they were not savvy in that way yet and neither neither was viewership yeah yeah but what i guess what i mean is like as opposed to now where it's like it's less about the actual video and it's more about like can you get a good thumbnail out of this and like you're 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 trying to please the algorithm not people um which is which is fun i i saw a a tweet from uh jason pargin the the author of the John dies at the end books. And he said uh, it was right whenever the AI art stuff started to like get big and everyone was talking about it on the internet, whenever Dolly two dropped and mid journey came out and stuff. And he, he tweeted and he said like, I'm less interested in humans training AI to make art and more interested in talking about how over the last decade, humans have been slowly trained by AI to make art. And then he showed a bunch of like thumbnails from YouTube or whatever, where like we make stuff, trying to please robots and not actual people. And then the people seeing it is just like a, it's like a, a byproduct. While interest and speculation on just how the game worked spiraled up, Poloni felt more and more pressure to finish the game, something he had been trying to do for years at this point. However, there was one element impeding his progress. He needed an SDK, a software development kit for Nintendo. This was only shared with approved development partners, individuals or companies that had been appointed by Nintendo to be able to see the inner workings of the software and could be trusted to develop games responsibly for it. Polony told the Sentinel, 
You can't get access to the SDK unless you've published a game before, which obviously presented him with a chicken and the egg scenario. All the while, online interest and speculation in Bob's game grew and grew. Yeah, and then the, if you if you if if you don't know, it's less and less like this now because there's just more access. Kind of banking off what I said before, a lot of the a lot of indie developers that are you know they have more and more access to technology to develop games, and it's easier and easier. You know, you can get you can get Unity for free and make a game and if you decide to develop uh release it commercially then you just have to like raise a budget to pay the $10,000 or $100,000 or whatever it costs to have a commercial license for Unity or you can make it in an open source game development uh platform like Godot or whatever and you don't have to pay anything ever um and you can release games and you can have a game that goes out on the Switch or whatever but but more so back in the day, the SDK was almost like a gatekeeping tool because the SDK, you like to get it to get a development kit for a PlayStation 2 or 3 or like a N- Nintendo GameCube or Wii or whatever, they would charge you like $10,000. Like it would just it would cost $10,000 to get this clunky, huge version of a Nintendo GameCube that allowed you to like make a game that worked on it. So that made it to where like only big AAA studios could actually make games for the platforms and anybody else was kind of like not able to just by the barrier for entry of it costing a shitload of money to be able to like make the game in the first place. Bob's game as a title, I feel like is a very interesting social marker for the game and the person who's in it because you can feel that Bob's game is a bit that he kept on for too long and now he's stuck with it and that's kind of the thing of the game too where like he's been making a thing he's remade it multiple times with multiple like zeldrug and button mash are not the same fucking game as bob's game but to him it is it's like that weird trope where um uh uh there's a certain type of guy and Francis Ford Coppola is that type of guy. And I know this because I just listened to the Francis Ford Coppola commentary on Bram Stoker's Dracula where he says this, where they view every woman as the same woman. So whenever they start dating somebody, they like low key think of them as this, the last person they dated. And like every, you know, Coppola talks at length in the movie about the reason why he fell in love with the script is because there's this reincarnation of Wilhelmina Murray you know as Dracula's older lover Elisabetta and like he's like I feel like that you know I've loved one woman my whole life even when I've loved multiple women I'm like this is is weird man like are you saying that women aren't people like this is really weird to me um but in some ways that's this guy's like creative process like the idea of game is just a single game it's a single idea that he's iterating on and not even having the like Woody Allen approach to iteration where it's the same story every time, but it's titled different things. And like he's pretending like it's a different story. This dude is just like, I am obsessed with this earthbound, like one single idea. And everything I do is always going to be that idea. And it's really fascinating to me. Yeah. And it's different than the Woody Allen thing, because Woody Allen, you know, wants to tell that same story over and over again. And he packages it differently. Um, which I think a lot of a lot of people do. I mean, a lot of people don't like sexually assault their children, but they do that. Like there's a lot of people who have that. Like I just I like to tell that one kind of story and I just package it up in a different way. And 
Maybe it's because I don't have other stories to tell and I'm just kind of a one trick pony or maybe it's because I just love that specific story and that's just what I want to do and or whatever. But with this, it's like it's the opposite where it's like it's not about the specific thing. He has no specific thing he wants to do. It's about the idea that he's obsessed with. He wants to make a game and you get that sense from the like it will have many hours of much more gameplay than other types of games. It's like he just wants he he's. He's interested in the idea of doing the thing, making the game, getting it on to the 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 game, the DS or whatever it is. He ends up trying to get it onto. Uh, we'll get to that later. Um, he like he wants the it's it's almost like, you know, there's people who like they want the title, but they don't want to do the work that goes into like getting the title. They just want they want to be the boss, but they don't want to deal with the shit of being a boss or whatever it is. Um, or, you know, they, they, you want to be known as an artist without putting in the hours of time it takes to like achieving that or whatever. It's kind of like that, except for obviously he wa- he's fine with putting in the work. He's just, he's not like trying to be lazy about it or cut corners or take shortcuts. He just doesn't have like a vision. He just want he wants to be known as a game developer and have and like accomplish the thing of having a game on a Nintendo system. And that, and that that's as far as his like vision goes. Yeah, it's uh he's obsessed with that specific goal being met. And he kind of doesn't he kind of doesn't have any other goals, which is fascinating because it's different than being like, I want to produce a game. I want to get better. I'm going to go to gaming school. I'm going to work in the industry and then I'm going to work myself up like he doesn't have a vision for a career. He has a vision for a singular event, which is fascinating because i don't think most people's brains work that way because capitalism has conditioned us to need to make money over an entire life not just experience something once yeah and it's also it's also different than i just want to get into the game industry so that i can like get rich or like be successful or famous it's like different than that too it's like a it's like a third thing usually it's one of the two yeah i don't quite know what it is it's a because it's not I want to be seen as a creative genius, although there is an under. Nah, it is that, too. It is that, too. He refers to himself as a genius all the time. Um, But it's this weird, like, I want to be Shigeru Miyamoto and no one else. And I don't want to work at Nintendo. I want to just be Shigeru Miyamoto. Miyamoto? Whatever the fuck his last name is. The fucking Nintendo guy. It's Miyamoto. That's all I want. Miyamoto. Yeah. Fuck me. Yeah. We all know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's it's. And it's inter- it's interesting. I wonder. I wonder. I mean, I would love to unpack it because I wonder where what all goes into that. Because as we'll get into, like, there might be some mental illness aspects of it, but also like, you know, I living living in L.A. especially. Like, I I have people. I have friends and people that I know where it's just like you see you see the expectations that they have for themselves, and you're just like, you would be so much happier if you just didn't have that lofty of an expectation for yourself. Like, you'll, I'll see people who are just like, they'll just post like affirmations on Facebook and be like, one day I'm going to be up on that Oscar stage. And it's like, man, that is such a, that's such a like hard expectation to have on yourself that like you either win an Oscar like you're you're 36 and in your mind if you don't win an Oscar you failed like that that's such a hard expectation to have on yourself and if you just like step back a bit and just like I'm not saying like settle but just like update your expectations to be less impossible and then well especially it's funny too because like 
the people who usually say stuff like that, they're like, you know, weird horror movie directors and you're like, or would be horror movie directors. And it's like, bro, there's been like two horror movies that have ever even been nominated. Horror movies don't win Oscars. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. So I I wonder what aspect of that is kind of the Laz Rojas thing where he's just so obsessed with this one specific thing and nothing else will satisfy him. And it's like, you could be, you could be so much happier if you just like went down two rungs on the ladder and we're fine with like, I think both of these personality types, Laz Rojas and Bob Poloni and a bunch of people like this, you know, me on a bad day. (laughs) Yeah, you're that guy I was talking about, the Oscar guy. That was you. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except I was like, that's going to be me up on the Eisner stage. And then I got close, baby. I got nominated. They said our names in that fucking room. And then they didn't call us. But it was fine. It was fine. I saw the video. Yeah, I remember sitting in that room. I saw I saw the video where the, where the level of applause for Jeff Lemire, you just started laughing. Yeah. <laughs> the volume of the applause just made you laugh. And it was like in that moment, you knew that you were going to win. Yeah, totally. We were sitting there and it, I, I knew we weren't going to win all weekend. But when we were sitting in the like ballroom and like, you know, ate the shitty Marriott or Hilton buffet or whatever and sitting at this table and it's us and Becky Cloonan and a bunch of other cool people in the room and. Neil Gaiman and Jim Lee walk out and they're like talking about whatever they're doing. And Frank Miller is there. And there's all these like people I've idolized my entire life. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm literally at the fucking party. Like for a long time, all I wanted was to just be somebody in the scene. Like I just wanted to be somebody at the in the background of Jack Kirby's 80th birthday, you know. And when we were in that room, I was just like a basking in. This is it, baby. I made it to the fucking party. If somebody takes a fucking selfie right now, fucking James Tinian and Scott Snyder over there selfieing, I'm going to be in the back looking like a goober, getting the extra helping of potatoes at this buffet. Which I feel, which I feel like is such a, which is like such a good approach to like life whenever you want to be successful in a, in a, in, a, in, a, in anything. Like, like I said, these people who are just like, one day I'm going to be on that Oscar stage. Like, you you will never dig yourself out of that hole. Like you're you're never going to be satisfied with your life whenever that is what you how you think of your of your life is like in a deficit of winning an Oscar. But like you know, I've I've dealt with frustrations and like disappointment with things or whatever, but I can say confidently that I have far exceeded any expectations I ever had for myself. And I think you could probably say the same thing as well. And like, there's more room to go. And, but like, in my mind, I'm like, I already fucking did it, baby. It's, it's a fucking, it's a fucking victory lap at this point. And I hope I, I hope I go further, but like, I'm not always thinking like, I'm not there yet. That's probably, it's just such a, it's such a much healthier way of thinking about things, I think. I think it is to a certain extent. I just think it's hard to accept those things when you when you've got your nose pressed up against the glass. You know, like the equivalent for me with this was like, I just want to I want to have a book published that I own. You know, like I self-published like 10 graphic novels before I was able to find a publisher that would allow me to own my own work. And like since then, I've found multiple publishers and put out more books and Forest Hills Bootleg Society, available now from Simon & Schuster and greater bookstores everywhere. You know, our our new book just came out, and it's the biggest release we've had. 
And, you know, I think there's something to be said of that doesn't happen. You don't wake up one morning and sell a book to Simon and Schuster. And that's what Bob Poloni was trying to do. He wanted to wake up and be in the big leagues. He wanted to wake up and be Michael Jordan. And you don't get there by just saying I'm Michael Jordan repeatedly on a video game message board. You know what I mean? Like you have to put in the work. Yeah. And unfortunately, the Internet compounds that because it, it gives you like feedback that makes you think that that's going to happen even more so than otherwise, because you see those you see those numbers ticking up and stuff. And you're just like, oh, my God, I am going to be Shigeru Miyamoto in two days. Yeah, exactly. Because you're you're like, it's 2008. There's nothing on the internet but fucking cat videos. And I'm here with a, you know, trailer for my game that has 100,000 views on it. There's no way I'm not going to be Michael Jordan. But I can't risk people knowing that my thing sucks, so I'm not going to put it out. Yeah, which is a whole other thing, which is like perfectionism as... Self-sabotage, bro. Self-sabotage of like, I'm so scared of failing and people seeing this and hating it that I'm just going to like keep it in limbo forever by not being like think like by tinkering with it because it's not done. Which, you know, as I think this dovetails really into the first kind of moving of the goalpost, right? Because he initially he was like, I'm not going to put this out until I get the SDK from Nintendo. And then he doesn't hear anything back. There's this massive interest in what he's done. And so that in the way that the internet does provides a backlash where a bunch of people are like, this game isn't real. And if it is, it probably sucks. Why are we fucking talking about this guy? This is fucking stupid. And he starts kind of internalizing that stuff and it causes him to move off of his no compromise. I'm not going to show the game until it's ready to be released with the SDK, uh, you know, goal a little bit. So he puts out a second trailer, an extended trailer. So we're seeing a black screen with a bunch of characters that are named non-specific things like your neighbor, your neighbor's son, your neighbor's uncle. The goths, the nerds, the jocks. The jocks. And as these characters are kind of scrolling by, behind them, we're seeing Bob's, uh, Bob Poloni's workspace, you know, his office. that His Charlie and It's Always Sunny fucking conspiracy dungeon. Yeah, no shit. It's like this, it, 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 if he could, if he had actually been doing this or pulled this off, like this isn't a bad concept for like a trailer for something like just he, this thing is just so full of characters and they're all like they're getting increasingly specific. The ir- irritated, uh, the cranky woman who shoves people out of like, you can't even like read it as it's going along like that. That's kind of actually a cool concept of like this. This game is just full of life because, you know, that's a that's. That's the issue that can there could be with a lot of games where it just feels empty. Like that was the big criticism of Cyberpunk uh, whenever it came out was just like it was just not a complete game. They rushed it out and then like you played the game and there was just nobody in the in the world. It was dead. It was just an empty world that didn't feel real. Time lapse of him developing the game at his computer, drawing 
pixel sprites and making tile sets and all this stuff. And it basically like if you're if you're if you're unfamiliar, uh, it, it essentially looks like an RPG maker game or a more a more mainstream description is it just it looks like a Super Nintendo game kind of but it has that very specific RPG maker look to it which if you know you know yeah we're seeing footage of the character the main character you walking around talking to people and going to environment going through like suburban environments dancing on some kind of dance floor Walking in what appears to be an art gallery. Yeah, where where the where the where the trailer starts to fall apart is like as it's starting out, it's like it's it's actually kind of interesting, and you're like, oh man, there's a lot of characters in this, and it seems like it's very like the, there's a bunch of environments and there's a lot of characters. But then where it starts to fall apart is after you know we're at we're at three minutes, and we all we've seen so far is him just walking through rooms. Um, interacting with characters and objects. And it's like, what's the game? Is there a battle system? Is there puzzles to solve? It's, it's just him walking into rooms and talking to people. This is like, you know, mostly just to kind of prove that it's a real game, to prove that there's gameplay. But like you're saying, like, but gameplay of what? This is, it. this... It's like Pokemon without the, uh, you know, <laughs> catching of Pokemon. Like, it's just like wandering around gyms, basically. Which is like, this is not difficult to do. Like, I mean, creating all the character, like creating all the character animations and building the environments, that is a very time consuming thing. But putting together tile sets and then like having a character walk through them, that's that's not a game that's just a that's a tech demo for a game engine now we're back to all of the more and more increasingly elaborately named characters scrolling by us quickly yeah which is like it seems like this is kind of like the selling point or the gimmick of this that he's trying to get across is that there's like there's a massive amount of characters they're just filling the screen Jesus, there's so many. Some dude who leaked footage or something was the last one. And then he takes a footage of him taking a bow. And now we're just looking at more footage of the game. But yeah, it's like, oh, and there's like a little, there's a little thing here at the end where it's like a, it's an, it's like a, it's a pixel art animated version of his face and he's talking. And lastly, we have you, the unknown newcomer. Oh, fuck. And then you can't read anything. It, it starts to become annoying. Everything's going too fast. You can't read any of the text. Lastly, we have you, the unknown newcomer with incredible beginner's look who is clearly here by some kind of mistake. And now we commence the first interdimensional Bob's Game Championship. What is Bob's Game? And that's the end of the trailer. Nobody knows. Nobody knows what Bob's Game is. Um, and, uh, you know, it looks like it's a real game in terms of he's put a bunch of time into it. But like you're saying, if you know what to look for of like what is the actual game, it looks like a whole lot of filler, my dude. Whole lot of filler. Yeah, just walking the, the the stuff that happens in any RPG where you 
can walk into a room and talk to everybody and click on every object and it'll give you a little message. You go up into a statue and it's like this statue is of Arthur Pelkington, the founder of this town. And then you and then that's it. It's just it's just like there to give the world a little bit of a lived in feel. But it's not a game. Again, the game was met with much interest and curiosity. Everyone was still a bit unclear on exactly what the game actually was, but it looked good, unique, and appeared to have interesting mini-games that were recreations of iconic games like Tetris, Pong, and the like. Which none of that was shown in that trailer at all. No, but there I have seen, I don't know, maybe there's a different second trailer, or there's, but I've seen footage of the mini-games from this era, so I, I don't exactly know what the deal is there. Um, look, it was 2008. It was meta. You were playing a game inside a game. People were into it. However, when Poloni rode the wave of public curiosity and sent in his development kit request to Nintendo, they didn't get back to him, something that was about to break his already fracturing mind. Act 2 the Mahatma Gandhi of video game protests and fake suicides. The estimated time it was intended to take a Nintendo employee to respond to an SDK request was six to eight weeks. However, 16 weeks out, our boy Poloni still hadn't heard anything from them. So what did he do? He launched a sit-in in his own apartment where he wasn't going to leave the house for 100 days and he would live stream the whole thing to the internet. To be precise, on December 31st, 2008, he issued an open letter to Reggie Philomay, the president of Nintendo, calling him out by name and telling him that this was all his fault. Over the course of the next month and a half, he would write increasingly alarming and disturbing updates, blaming Nintendo for not giving him the SDK, calling them names, and alternatingly screaming at them over email and apologizing, saying the equivalent of, I'm sorry, baby, I didn't mean it. Round about the one-month mark, Poloni faked his own death, destroyed his apartment, and lay motionless on webcam stream for hours, prompting fans to call the cops, thinking he was dead. Spoiler alert, he wasn't. And Re Reggie was just like, if he dies, he dies. <laughs> Subsequently, he stopped live streaming his protest, but still updated his website, progressively getting more and more unhinged. I'm still dead. Eventually, Nintendo did get back to him with a form letter saying... Hey man, you're weird. We don't want to Netflix and chill. Thanks though. Which sent him even further off the deep end. He spent months sending letters and updates screaming into the void, commanding them to give him the SDK so he could finish the greatest game ever made. So, Spandrew, is this a good way to try and forge a corporate partnership? Yeah, definitely not. I mean, there there's certainly like, there's a version of this of just like doing some kind of weird performance performancey stunt thing that could potentially work in some scenario um you know you you hear the you hear the 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 legends of like you know random shit like uh the band strapping young lad they got their record deal because they kept sending their demo into all these record companies and they just never heard anything back and then um uh, they Devin Townsend, the 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 main sort of songwriter, singer, guitarist of Strapping Young Lad, he decided to send in a demo to a record label wrapped in his dirty underwear, like white like white underwear with skid marks on it, and they actually listened to it, and then they got the record deal. 
Like, like, you know, that, like that, the idea of like doing some weird kind of like stunty bullshit to get attention is not out of the realm of something that could work. But there's several things converging to make this a very bad idea for uh, Bobby Boy. Uh, number one is like Nintendo is notoriously this like family friendly company that wants nothing to do with anything remotely controversial. Uh, you know, we cover or it was covered in the video game Congress episode the the whole idea that like Nintendo basically just wanted like Congress to like ban violent video games entirely because they didn't want anything to do with them anyway and they just wanted the government not to regulate them um they they everything everything is family friendly with them up until recently with the switch like now they're less strict about it and like a lot of weird bullshit gets on the switch on the eShop in terms of games but but prior to the switch like there was like this high bar of quality of like what of what could and couldn't be on their platform in terms of like family friendliness. Um, and it was a big deal, for instance, whenever Resident Evil 4 was on, was ported to this to the Wii. It was like, holy shit, you're going to let Resident Evil 4 onto the Wii like that game was violent. Um, so there's that. There's also the fact that like also Nintendo is like specifically just very like uncompromising about everything. Like they're they're really notorious about the fact that they have a zero tolerance policy for people's live streaming their games. And so they're very finicky about like streamers playing their games on live stream and they'll send copyright takedowns. And all the the video game community are all just like perennially pissed off about it because they're just like, what the fuck? Like every other game company lets people stream their games and they recognize that it's a good marketing uh, strategy. And like you're getting free marketing from people just playing your games online and it makes people buy games. And in fact, other game companies are smart enough to pay people to do it. And Nintendo's just like, nope, do not use our shit or we will come after you legally. Like you will be fucked. And like recently, like the, the, the like there's this story from the last couple of years uh, where a dude who, who funny enough, his name is. So the, the new president of Nintendo America after Reggie Philomane, his name is Doug Bowser, which is amazing. Yeah. And then there there's a guy who uh, created a ROM website where he hosted a bunch of old Nintendo ROMs and he got busted for it and arrested and he's going to prison for ho like hosting ROM Nintendo ROMs and his last name is Bowser but Nintendo came after this guy and they went full force like he's going to prison for putting ROMs on the internet like they they do not give a fuck they they will they will destroy you they don't care um so you're working with somebody who's like notoriously wants to be family friendly and squeaky clean at all costs like relentlessly does not give a fuck and will not listen to like fan outcries or you do some kind of weird stunt or protest and you have like a hundred thousand people on the internet being like, let him have an SDK. They'll, they don't give like literally the, if he dies, he dies. Like that's Nintendo's attitude about everything. And also like no company wants to be involved with somebody who like fakes their death. Like that's not, that's, that's a bridge too far. And also just like constantly sending unhinged, crazy emails and blog posts and calling them cowards and a, th a recurring theme throughout this whole process is that he keeps saying that they won't give him the SDK because they're jealous that he made Bob's game which is kind of like 
they, they who's one who's jealous and two the people work there make mario like what are you talking about and also if they were jealous they would want it to be on their platform yeah it's not like companies care about like who made the thing they're not like oh you know we didn't make this in in house like if, if they if they thought it was the greatest game ever they would just buy the fucking rights to it and they'd be like this is a nintendo game they, that's what they would do, but also they wouldn't do that because they don't feel that way and they're not jealous, and that's insane to say that. Well, as if faking your death wasn't a step too far, our boy Bob is about to turn up for what? Poloni took it one step further and hired actors, four Asian people that he found on Craigslist, and went to the Nintendo store in order to gain viral marketing attention and rally the internet to his side. So this is really weird. He hires these four actors who all conveniently are Asian, which is very also weird to me. Like, it's not like I don't, I don't know why in his brain that like if I just show up with like my Asian friends to the Nintendo retail store, none of which of those people are employed by corporate Nintendo of America. They're just like dudes who are the equivalent of people who work at Target. And if I put like fake Bob's game cartridge uh, boxes on the shelves and paste up Bob's game posters in the store and like throw business cards on the floor. People are going to be like, yeah, dude. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's video of it and he, he they, they just kind of get out and to a certain degree, the video is kind of staged, but like, they're just like, we're about to launch the Bob's game guerrilla marketing strategy. And then they get out and they just like hang some posters on the outside of the store and then they go in and put the games on the shelf or whatever. And yeah, somewhere in somewhere, somewhere knocking around in his mind, he thought like if there was like a couple of Asian people, someone would some people would just be like, oh, like the Asians want this game. Like, I I, I don't know what I don't know what that is. I don't know. I, I can tell that there's something in his brain that that is like a point, you know? for but i don't know what it is like i don't know i i this to me feels like the equivalent of somebody being like some of my best friends are black yeah but it's like it's, it doesn't even make that much sense it really it's very weird it's very weird by this point the internet was collectively like yeah i don't know dude you're kind of a weirdo poloni didn't take this well so he decided to step back at this point take a deep breath and regroup and here's the most interesting thing he tried to pull. He kayfabed it. In March of 2009, Poloni announced on his website that the protest and other outlandish behavior had been a viral marketing ploy to advertise Bob's game. According to an email he sent to the press, he had been able to fool the entire internet gaming community and express disappointment that the media did not see through his stunt. Ha! I got you! I tricked you all into thinking that I was an unhinged entitled shitty asshole who was throwing a fit because I couldn't get what I wanted. Got ya. Boom. Owned. It's so funny because it's like, in some ways he's ahead of the curve, right? Because he's like aware that this kind of like kayfabe post meta stuff is happening where he's like, all reality is a lie. The internet is fake. We're all playing characters. And he like tries to blame the character that he is as a character, as opposed to just who he is as a real person. You guys fell for it. You fell for my little ruse where I pretended to be fucking annoying and like somebody you just wouldn't want to talk to. And you fell for it. Ha 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 ha. 
I'm actually like a really cool, sexy, big-dicked guy, but you thought I was like a weirdo who faked his suicide on the internet and got really depressed when a video game company wouldn't give him a uh, an SDK, but I would never do that. It'd be like somebody coming up to you and being like, you don't even need that eye patch," And then you being like, ha ha, I fooled you. I do need that eye patch, but I fooled you into thinking that I don't need the eye patch because you don't know what's going on. Well, it would, it would, it would be like, and it's funny because I just, I just brought this up the other day to this friend, but one time I was, we were eating at Fred 62, which is a restaurant in Los Feliz in Los Angeles. It's pronounced as Los Feliz. It should be pronounced as Los Feliz. That's how you say it in Spanish, but they, they call it Los Feliz. Uh, there's a restaurant called Fred 62. That's like a weird throwback diner place. And we were in there and my friend ordered, uh, strawberry lemonade and it said on the menu no refills on this and we were sitting there he drank the strawberry lemonade this uh bus person or whatever whatever the, the people are that aren't your waiter but they come up and like get you stuff walked up and he was like oh what did what did you have and he was like oh strawberry lemonade and he's like oh okay and he took it and he walked away he refilled it he brought it back and he set it down and then he was like oh and just so you know for next time we don't give free refills and strawberry lemonade and he walked away and my friend was just like, I didn't ask for the refill. He came and asked me for it. And I, I I brought that up the other day to him. And he's like, yeah, I've never been back there since then. And that was back in like 2015. It's like that. Polony referred to the marketing of the game as an old school marketing style for an old school style game. On March 31st of 2009, he released a playable demo of Bob's game, which required a flash cartridge and was only playable on a emulator i don't know what type is that a specific type of emulator i saw it written that way i have no idea what that means no gb no dollar sign gba it's just the name of the emulator emulator you know an emulator is a is a piece of software that is developed by a person so they have names because it's like you know if you made a thing you would give it a name so there's you know a lot of the most famous emulators from back in the day there was like nesticle which was an nes emulator there was nestor that was another one um bleem was a was a playstation emulator um that was very finicky about whether it wanted to work or not um and then yeah like no no i, I don't know how you say this out loud but no dollar sign gba that's just it's just it's just a, a game boy advance emulator for the for the pc in april of that year reggie Philome was interviewed on mtv.com about why bob was denied an sdk and reggie politely said that nintendo had evaluated the request and found bob did not meet their standards for a professional corporate partnership. Poloni went dark. He disappeared into the bowels of his weirdo green-lit apartment until in March of 2011, almost two years to the day later, Poloni announced that he was going to manufacture and create his own handheld portable console called the ND. It would be sold for $20 and Bob's game would be the first title. Surprise, surprise, in June of 2011, Poloni uploaded a commercial. So, uh, Spandrew, what do you think? You think this guy can manufacture a fucking piece of hardware? You think he can deal with factories and design specs and... Absolutely not. Absolutely not. That shit is, like, the most complicated thing in the world. Like, I don't know, I don't know if I've ever... I don't know if I've ever talked about this. I think I, I think I've told you about this and I, I don't really do it anymore. But back in the day, I was a Kickstarter power user. Like I was I was back in shit less left and right video games, weird products. Like I, I, I feel like I was kind of addicted to it for a while where I was just like not even like getting the stuff. I just love the idea of like 
be like contributing to something weird and cool getting made. Like it was all, it was like this weird form of gambling where it's just like, you gotta just get it over the goal. And ah, yeah, we did it. Now this weird thing is going to exist. And so I've, I've backed a bunch of products that required overseas manufacturing and the number of products that I've backed that have just like, I backed them like seven years ago and they're still issuing updates being like, we're finally almost to the point where the manufacturing deal is made and like the 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 issue with the bad like mold fitting that was causing the the you know the thing to be defective is finally solved like it seems like it's the f- worst and most complicated thing in the world to manufacture a physical product that requires factory work overseas so so no I don't think he can. I don't think he can do it either. But I wonder. Maybe he will. Maybe he'll succeed. You- the idea of producing, like in two thousand, this was two thousand eight, producing a, a uh, hand- I think it's a little later than that. I think this is like twenty in twenty eleven. Twenty eleven. There's a possibility now because of the fact that all of the part, like you can easily just buy like a Raspberry Pi or an Arduino or something like that, and if you know a little bit about so- soldering and you can and you use and there's also like companies that like custom make PCBs for you so you can like you can just order like a specific PCB that they make and they can send you it in bulk and then you just have to like wire it and like it's it's in the realm of possibility now that you can you could make a handheld device and like sell it uh for like relatively cheap like i i, I don't have it here but i just bought a uh, something from a from a guy who makes and sells these on Etsy, um, but it's a little it's a homemade three D printed uh, hitbox. So it's a, it's a controller, a game controller, um, but it's a hitbox style controller. So it's like a you know like a like a fight stick, like the arcade cabinets, and you have the joystick and the buttons, and then they have fight sticks that you can buy that are that. But it's just something that sits on your lap. And now they have hitboxes, which are smaller boxes that have the same types of buttons. And this guy makes these from his house and he basically just buys uh, these specific PCBs in bulk. And then he 3D prints a case and keys for it. And he sells them for like 70 bucks, which is a little bit more expensive than 20. But you could maybe make something like that now. But back in 2011 or whatever, there's no way you could make a handheld gaming device that plays games and sell it for $20. Like, absolutely no way. That's an insane thing to say. Needless to say, this fell flat on its face, and he backed off the idea of manufacturing his own console almost as quickly as he started. Poloni next took to Kickstarter to try and make his dreams come true. Only his initial Kickstarter failed. It only raised $477. But in January of 2014, he tried again. And this time, it worked. So we're looking at the uh, Bob's Game Kickstarter page. And this page is basically for raising a bunch of money to make the equivalent of a video game, a video game bang bus. It is just, he wants to have ostensibly a solar-powered RV bus that he can finish working on the game in, which to me just seems like a grift. Yeah. (laughs) I watched a video about van life, and so I want to do van life. The only thing people know me for is Bob's game, so I'm going to try and Bob's game it up. I'll make the game in the van. That'll help me. That's going to make – that makes sense, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, at, at, a, at a goal of $10,000, it made $10,409 with tw- 223 backers. Yeah. Um, maybe we can watch a little bit of the video just to get a sense of what he was doing because it opens with a very Freudian clip. Bob is tied in a chair and he's reading off cue cards as if he's been kidnapped and held hostage. And now we're seeing gameplay footage from Bob's game. So much gameplay footage. Uh, but now the gameplay footage is the character of you interacting with definitely not Reggie Philomay. And talking about fate and how the only weapon is the greatest game ever made. It's a legendary video game. Blah, 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 blah. It's just more unhinged shit. Like if you're trying to be stacking video game cartridge boxes, going to the Nintendo store and harassing people. If you're trying to sell the video game is a fun experience. This really is not the way to do it. Footage of him artificially destroying his office. Pouring cards on the ground. In his apartment, obviously. Picking them back up. Sped up time-lapse footage of the game. Basically, the the short, the long and the short of it is, he wants to get a van. Never in a million years would I have known that from that Kickstarter video. Yeah, it's just like an unhinged fucking visual manifesto. It's like it's like that scene in uh, Exit Through the Gift Shop when he gets all that money to make the documentary about street artists. And he spends all that time filming and then he's like editing it together. And then he shows the first cut of it to like Shepard Ferry or one of those guys. And he, and it's just like this like stream of consciousness, like 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 mishmash of footage that's all edited together in these all these kinetic ways. And it's got music the whole time. And Shepard Ferry is just like it wasn't a documentary. It was just like an hour long music video like it had no it wasn't coherent. <laughs> And also, yeah, he 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 slowly as this stuff started unfolding, he added to the game, quote unquote. But in reality, he was probably just putting together a little animations and there was no game. But he was like incorporating the real life story into the game. So like. Nintendo and like Reggie became characters in the game and they became these like evil fascist corporate villains that the main character was fighting against and so there was all these like really over-the-top parodies and and like satires of nintendo and you would post these videos of like dialogue scenes on his blog that were clearly meant to be like him commenting on what was going on in real life with nintendo even though like you know i'm not i i not like i'm simping for corporations or whatever but like in this specific situation they didn't do anything wrong however only a short time later he realized he couldn't fulfill the kickstarter and told Forbes that he was planning on refunding the money. He would later claim that this wasn't what he was going to do. And here's where things end. Within 2016, 
a puzzle game named Bob's Game being released. Technically making Bob's Game a release and a success by the metric of that anything done is a success. However, is this really what he wanted? Or was he just looking for a way to get the internet to leave him alone? So this is what we were kind of talking about earlier. He basically just put out Tetris and said, this is Bob's Game has nothing to do with any of the footage or game that we've been seeing for the past 10 years. He just put out fucking a Tetris skin, basically. After all this stuff from 2008 until 2016, he raised over $10,000 in a Kickstarter campaign, went through all this bullshit, and then he released, quote unquote, released the game. And it's just a Tetris clone, like the kind of thing that you can download from the unity store and then you're supposed to like you you download like a like a tetris game for unity and then you can just go in and change the fucking skin of it and make it your own that's what none he of the characters none of the you know top-down jrpg earthbound like stuff is there none of it just it's just zero it's zero percent bob's game and not not only so he raised all this money and said he was going to be spending all this time making the game or whatever and had a blog detailing his game development journey or whatever. But not only with what Bob's game was and the fact that you can just download a, a Tetris clone off of the Unity store and then just like palette swap out the skin and, and the colors and add text and make it its own little unique thing. Not only could he have made that game in like a day and a half, but if he didn't do it like that, and he actually painstakingly created a Tetris clone from scratch. That's even dumber. <laughs> like if he didn't just download a Tetris clone off of Unity and then put a different skin on it, he's a fucking idiot. There's no way that I mean, that's exactly what he did. He He's looking for a way out. He's looking for a way to hit the ejector seat. And that's what he did. You know, like he can he can now the idea of game is done. It wasn't for Nintendo, but he did idea of game. Is it a game you can play? Yes. It does not matter what is in game. It is a game. Yeah. And I th- and at that point, it's probably just like getting the the weight of the responsibility off of his shoulders. Like he's not even like he's no longer even like achieving trying to reach for that goal that that he had in 2008 of like making releasing a game and having it be on a Nintendo system or whatever. At this point, that's gone. Like he, he does, he's not even he's not even holding on to that dream anymore. He's just trying to like no longer feel indebted to people for the $10,000 that they gave him. Cuz that's the that's the thing about Kickstarter and also like NFTs. Like if you if you ever like if you know anything more about NFTs than just like the surface level information about it, like you make an NFT project and like people buy them and then you are forever indebted to them for the rest of your life because you have to keep making the NFTs valuable. And if they and if they lose value, the people who bought them get mad at you. And so like Kickstarter campaigns and all these things like you do it and then you just immediately it's like it's like you fucking curse yourself with a lifetime of responsibility. So at this point, he's just trying to no longer feel like he has to be uh, obligated to deliver on ten thousand dollars worth of which you, we know he didn't make that fucking van. Like, you know he didn't make that fucking van. That $10,000, that went out the window. As soon as he got that shit in his bank account, he bought cocaine. I guarantee you. <laughs> like, no way. No fucking way that he made it, that van. He either, he either, he either spent all $10,000 and 400, or $10,440 on cocaine 
or he spent all $10,440 on waifu body pillows. Like the, those are the only two options. Those are the only two options. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think, um, you know, I think there's a lot to discuss here, but I think just as a final character arc note, let's look at Robert Poloni's website, robertpoloni.com. Let's let's just look at the website really quick. Have you seen this previously? Are you aware of what this is? I don't think so. I don't think I ever looked at his website. All right. We're going to, this is his current website as of 2022. You want to read that for me, Mr. Spandry Spice? So the, the important thing to know is when when Dave says website, this is just a white screen with a paragraph of text in the middle of it. That There's nothing else. So it says, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand. A man is not defiled by what enters his mouth, but by what comes out of it. Then the disciples came to him and said, are you aware that the uh, Pharisee, Pharisees, is that how you say that? Are you aware that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And then there's a a link, which I would feel kind of nervous about clicking on, HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash one two dot win. Don't do drugs. Read the Bible. Stay off the internet porn. Listen to your parents. Don't try to get rich. Just go to community college and become a doctor. Jesus is the Lord. Hallelujah. So my reading of this scenario is he lost his fucking mind and became one of those insane Christian people. He got crushed by his own ego and his way of healing from that is by admitting that there is a higher power and uh, working towards um, becoming involved in the in that community. Yeah. Yeah. The the John John Green was that his name? That's the name of that author. Yeah. John Green is a person. Fault in our stars guy. Yeah. Jeff Green, the guy, the the guy, the Lisa Frank's husband. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Lisa Frank's husband. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, Just like crushed by my crushed by my own ego. Now I'm like a Christian guy that sells T-shirts with like he is Lord written on them or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think my closing thoughts for this episode are it's fascinating to me how this is a different use of kayfabe than we normally cover. It's this weird like I'm going to try and use kayfabe to get myself out of trouble as opposed to kayfabe getting me in trouble. Um, I personally relate to the being lost in a project thing pretty hard. Um, I'm glad we're recording this after I have finished said project. And uh, I don't have to go into all of that. I don't want to talk about <laughs> that anymore. I am no longer lost in that project. And God damn it, I will keep moving forward. Um, I think the retitling the same game that is different games, but in your brain is the same game is fascinating. Zeldrug, Button Mash, Bob's Game, the JRPG, Bob's Game, Tetris is a really weird and interesting version of iterative design because it's divergent design, but the person that is creating it can't help but think that it's iterative because they only view themselves as making a definitive statement. They don't, they want to be that director who comes out swinging with the greatest film ever made, the, the Citizen Kane, and they don't really have a vision for a career. They just have, I want to make Citizen Kane, which is really interesting. Um, 
I think it's also just really funny that this was all for the Nintendo DS. <laughs> like, I don't know why, but it's it's not a particularly glamorous platform. So it's it's funny to me that it's all just like the Nintendo DS is the fucking be all end all. Um, the moving goalposts is very interesting to me of like, depending on where in his life he was, how things manifested differently and how he viewed different things as successes or failures. Um, the fact that he's obviously very mentally ill is, is sad to me. And I wish that he had people in his life that could have helped him get some help because there's a version of this story where he, he got offered, you know, publishing contracts for Bob's game when it first came out from smaller companies and he turned them down and there, maybe if he had more people in his life that could have helped him, say, take the win, make the make this game, live to fight another day, you know, maybe he would be an interesting on medication indie developer right now. Yeah, if if you if you manifest real indie game publishing companies reaching out to you about publishing your game because you started a weird campaign about trying to get Nintendo to publish your game, you you won. Like you you did it. It's not like oh, this is like not good enough or like oh i didn't do it i have to do the thing about nintendo i have to get on it i have to get on the game boy advance or the ds or whatever it was like no that you that's you you did it you won if you just came out if you just came out of nowhere and went on the internet and was like i'm making this game and i want to get it on nintendo and then a real company is like hey how about we publish it instead game over like you fucking did it go do that and then move on to the next thing yep i i agree i agree but you know Neither of us obviously suffer from bipolar disorder, which which Bob Poloni very obviously does. You know, he's a manic depressive bipolar person like you can just see it in his blog posts. Like it's not it's not even like <laughs> armchair, you know, psychology to be like, oh, he's probably a little mentally ill. He, he might as well be typing. I have bipolar disorder. Um I don't know. Spandrew, you're someone who uh, has dabbled in the gaming arts, as they say. What are your what are your closing thoughts about this bad boy? Yeah, I mean, to a certain degree, I relate to the idea of getting lost in in something similarly to you. Uh, I also kind of relate to the idea of what was clearly kind of like scope creep in the game he was making, uh, because I feel like that's just that's just what I do with everything where it's like it starts off at something that you're supposed to be able to do easily. Like, what's something we can just like do right now that won't be too hard and we can just get something out. And then by the time I've like thought about it for like an hour, it's some other crazy thing that is going to take a, an insane amount of time and resources to do. And it's just not the thing that it it doesn't fulfill the purpose of what it was discussed in the beginning of being this easy thing that you can just do and get something out. Like, I, I relate to that. Um, but I, but I also think that, you know, the big part of this, the big message here, you know, in, in addition to the fact that he's clearly, you know, struggling with mental illness is that it's, it's, I mean, I think this was, this was, dis- this was definitely discussed in the Q and on episodes for sure. But this idea that like, number one, the internet and social media like magnifies and, uh, and speeds up the effects of mental illness, but also in this specific example, it's this way in which like existing as a young person on social media, particularly and, and the internet, particularly like kind of like the, 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 the 2000s era of social media where you're in these kind of like forums like 4chan and Reddit and things like that, the way it almost kind of like it manufactures this like main character syndrome 
where the way the internet works is to hyper-connect with you as a person by showing you all these relatable things that appeal specifically to you in a way that you didn't think existed outside of your brain, which in turn makes you feel like you are the most significant person in the world. You're, you're in some inside club because you are unique and nobody else thinks the way that you do. And you are reinforced by the internet that not only is your thinking unique and unlike anybody else, but it's also like the right way to think. Um, and it's reinforced by the way that you have yourself sort of like reflected back at you because in reality, you're not that unique and the things that you think plenty of other people think them and the internet shows you what you want to see and what you want to hear. So your ego gets sharpened down to this fine point at this very pivotal, pivotal stage pivotal stage in your life where like you do not need help with making your ego bigger and it gives you this impossible sense of self that cannot that you cannot possibly live up to and not only can you not possibly live up to it but the very same implement that gave you that ego the internet and social media will also fucking crush you for it and and remind you of how insignificant and shitty and and unimportant you are so it's this it's this like it's this fucking battery of like how to build a person up and then destroy them the most efficiently possible. Um, and I think that that is exactly what happened here with with our friend Bob. Yeah, it's it's sad to see somebody have that system weaponized against themselves because um, I feel like there could be could have been some interesting games made. And I think there were they just maybe weren't whole games, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like. I'm not I'm not fully convinced that all of Bob's game uh, was as far along as he said it was. Um, yeah, to Toby Fox made a game that was four hours long. Undertale takes four hours to complete. And it's a simple game. It's a it's a it's a earthbound style Super Nintendo looking pixel art JRPG style game where you walk around pixelated environments and you you solve you solve little simple puzzles you in, interact with characters and you fight monsters and the big high concept of it is that you can choose to either fight characters or negotiate with them and try to befriend them and then you get a different ending depending on whether or not you killed a lot of monsters or whether or not you befriended them and it's a it's a 4 hour game and it's just very well written and that's it and it, and it's like it's like maybe one of the most successful and popular indie games of all time like we didn't we didn't need a 100 hour epic uh jrpg slash dance dance revolution slash fucking first person shooter hybrid puzzle we didn't need that we just we just needed like we needed the vision that you were kind of portraying to us and just make that into like a little hour-long game and let people play it and if they like it then make another one that's two hours and then keep going from there and when the publisher comes along and says hey we want to publish this say yes well i say yes and i'm dave baker and i'm spandrew spice this has been deep cuts if you'd like to find me on the internet you can do so at heydavebaker.com where you can find my books, Halloween Boy, Forest Hills, Everyone is Tulip, and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, you can also find uh, Forest Hills Bootleg Society at bookstores everywhere, published from Simon & Schuster. Took us five years to make that bad boy, and uh, pretty proud of it. Spandrew Spice.
Where can people find you on the internet? You can find me locked deep in my room in the in the bowels of my house every day at at, at my desk, grinding away at my computer, crafting, building, creating, iterating, growing to the crescendo of releasing the greatest game ever made, Spandrew's game, coming summer. 2023 and you can't find me on social media because i'm not on social media but if you want to pay your respects to the dear beloved papa pricey you can go to his website da price rights where you can get his book deadbolt ai private eye you can also follow us on social media go to facebook to search for deep cuts you can also join our facebook group deep cuts podcast facebook group where we make memes and talk about the show you can join our bitly bitly you can join our discord server bitly.com slash deep cuts discord where we talk about the show make memes do other things play games hang out you can also follow us on instagram at Deep Cuts Pod. You can follow us on TikTok at Mystery Treehouse. You can go to our shop, deepcutspod.com, click on the shop. Uh, you can go to our website, deepcutspod.com, click on the shop where you can find t shirts, hats, and other things with Deep Cuts graphics on them. You can also get our Junior Sleuth Mystery Treehouse uh, shoulder patch at the shop. And you can um, look out for Spandrew's game. Deep Cuts is a production by Boy Genius Media. If you'd like to find this show and others like it, please visit boygeniusmedia.com or deepcutspod.com. If you want to join in on post-episode discussions, please join the Deep Cuts podcast Facebook group. Finally, subscribe to our YouTube channel for additional video content.